Hello. This month on a Geography of Colour podcast, I'm talking with painter Ruth Culland about her relationship with colour. Ruth is a contemporary British painter and also a Jungian analyst living and working in London. Emergence and attunement to what is emergent are the experiences that engage her. She has a deep interest in alchemy, which provides a framework for how she thinks about painting as process. She will often utilise two different points of reference and see them as creating an interactive field within which she operates in order to investigate their relationship. She has a long-standing interest in gender and her exploration of gender fluidity in her participative performance project, Carnival of Souls, took place across the East 17 Arts Festival and the Folkestone Triennial in 2013. She presented this work at the conference Alchemy, Exploring Metaphorical Transformations and Arts-Based Research at Oxford University in 2023. In the pandemic, she was inspired by the early vampire film Nosferatu, with its monochrome landscapes, haunted by anxiety about infection by the supernatural other. At this time, she also began researching trans experiences of being feared and othered, discussed by creators on TikTok. Her current work uses stills from these videos to amplify and celebrate trans voices, using high-key colour to celebrate their cultural emergence from the shadows and a redefinition of what it means to be natural or true to nature. Ruth is a member of Contemporary British Painting and has exhibited nationally and internationally, including at Transition Gallery, Flowers East, Doncaster Museum and Art Gallery, Vestry House Museum, Hastings Museum and Art Gallery, and the Dulwich Festival. She has curated shows for APT, Walthamstow Wetlands and Salthouse Gallery. She was included in the Made in Britain 80 Painters of the 21st Century at Yantai Museum in China and Gdansk in Poland. She was selected for New Contemporaries at the ICA and Bluecoat Galleries, was a prize winner at the Southwark Gallery Open and Painting Fellow at Gloucester Art College. Also a Rome Scholar runner-up, and was awarded a Boys Travelling Scholarship and included twice in the Marmite Prize. She was an artist in residence at Pasty Project Space in Sudbury and recently a finalist at the Artworks Open in 2023. She lectures and writes on creative processes within Jungian psychoanalysis and in 2018 won the Fordham Prize for her paper Race, Power and Intimacy. Hello Ruth, it's really nice to be here today in your studio um, looking at your painting and I wonder if you'd like to say a little bit about, about yourself. Sure, um, my studio is in Hackney Wick and I've had it for a really long time and I absolutely love it because um, there's such a lot of natural daylight here and the windows down around two walls make it perfect for painting. And especially for colour, because, you know, there's a consistency there. It's not um, uh, in, in the day. So I can judge accurately, I think, what what is needed or, you know, from day to day, which I appreciate. Yeah, it's a really good light in here, isn't mm. it? Although I used to have um, just fluorescent lights in, in a basement in Carpenter's Road um, studios. And that was lovely, too, because, you know, it was literally the same all times of day and night, which yeah. <laughs> had it had its own merit. Um, you've got some really interesting paintings on the wall. 
So tell us about this series that you're working on at the moment. This series, as you can see, they're monochrome uh, to begin with, essentially. So this blue one here started off um, blue and then other colours were added in. And the idea for doing a series of monochrome paintings came from my love of Nosferatu, the vampire film by Murnau, um, which is might have been the first vampire film ever made. Mm. I, think, I think so. So the, it was shot in black and white, and then the scenes were hand-coloured. And they have, he used colour differently in the different scenes. So um, I think um, the, the colours have different meanings to him. And I haven't quite worked out what they mean. I think the yellow colour, sort of acid yellow colour, which sort of soaks in a very sort of toxic way into the scene, mm. it's really brilliant, uh, is the daylight scenes. And then that he uses uh, purple in some scenes and green, this amazing viridian um, or sort of bluey green um, f- for most of the film. What I liked about that was that it, it unites the whole space, the whole landscape, mm-hmm. you know, or room, you know, but whether it's mountains or meadows, and you're, you're seeing it through a lens of something so it's it's bringing everything together as if through I don't know memory or a particular aesthetic so what I thought would help me would be to because I wanted to start painting landscapes but I didn't want to paint them in a disjointed way a lot of my painting previously has been quite about disjuncture about fragmentation and I wanted to have this kind of melodic sort of sense of movement through the landscape, sort of have it be, um, have an element of calm and connection, but then the sense of menace as well. So there's something about everything being one colour that that is simultaneously, I think, calming and soothing and strange yeah. and worrying. Yeah, it's kind of, you're kind of seeing things through a particular lens, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. So it's a homogenising, of course. So, you know, that in itself is kind of really scary, you know. Um, so, uh, but then I suppose it's what night does to... Night drains the landscape of colour. Yeah. So it, it's kind of... It's, it's a darkness. Um, it's a homogenising light or colour that means that it's otherworldly and so like the night so something could happen that's going to surprise you or harm you (laughs) it's I suppose uh, a bit like your own unconscious you you know none of us really know what's down there absolutely they have a kind of dreamlike feel to them I think with those these particular colours yeah absolutely that I, th- I think well that is a is a sort of haunting film and I think uh, any any film that's a, a horror film ha- can have um, that that feeling as well. Dream or nightmare. Nightmare, yeah. Um, I so th- the Viridian, have you taken that from the film? Then do you think? Yeah, that colour. It's very hard to reproduce exactly. So 
in the paintings I'm often trying to find that colour and failing uh, but I don't mind that and then it builds up um, sort of layers of colour um, so some of them are actually over there behind you oh. um, and these are all oils uh, yes yes they are yeah so how, how do you go about doing them are they they look quite thin that you're li using layers and building them up yeah, so um, I'm using stills from yeah. different films, actually. I'm interested in combining things into one image. So uh, I might use um, a figure from a film and I might use a landscape from my own life that seems like it could be a setting for a horror film. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a place uh, called Hollow Ponds um, which is a great title in itself. Um, yeah, a very popular sort of um, wild place with East End people where, you know, there's a boating lake and there's some fantastic um, trees that have been uh, burnt by lightning and, and things like that. And, um, yeah, Forty Hall in Enfield is also a wonderful landscape. I did actually do some uh, hand colouring of photographs myself, so making the photos black and white and then yellowing them or putting pink or green. I, I, I'm very fond of acidic colours, actually. Yeah. Mm. But with these, so I'm taking the different uh, locations and combining them with film locations, bits of the films. Um, and in the dream world, of course, you often get things combining that it wouldn't really happen. And... In the cultural imagination, of course, all these films and things that we see and paintings and books and poems and uh, things that people have said to you, they all sort of live together in this underworld yeah. and they do mix and match, you know. So I quite like the idea that um, the paintings are like dreams because that that is, it's from a similar, it's a, from a cultural level rather than the personal unconscious. Yeah. And you're using this, same colours, like in the background as in the figure. So it's, it is all linked very much together. Yeah, as if they're all made of the same stuff. You were asking about Jungian things earlier. So in Jungian uh, theory, he he talked about the unus mundus, so where everything is connected in you know a one-world sort of way. So and at a sort of um, site. Um, psychoid level mm. so yeah when things break down um, inside you know we we get very confused if you're having a psychotic episode you don't know what's up or down no but it's um, there's a positive aspect to that you know the archetypes arise from that sense of things being interconnected all right yeah mm. It's interesting your cushion there mm. with that painting because yeah. <laughs> the colours are very similar, aren't they? Yeah. I have to be really careful what colours I have around me in the studio. Do you? Yeah, yeah, yeah because um, things affect me subliminally, actually, yeah. everyone. So, yeah, I'm just looking at that bright yellow tape measure there, you know, <laughs> that's vibrating against the viridian behind it and... Yeah, that's quite acid, isn't it? Yeah, I think your, you know, your vision adjusts to the things around. So, 
Yeah, it would yeah. be good to get rid of that. Paint. They can seep in, can't they? Seep into paintings. Yeah, and then you kind of almost imagine that is in your painting when it's not, mm. and you might want it in your painting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you have um, any favourite pigments that you've been using in these paintings? Well, do you know, it's quite hard to. Um, I often use Michael Harding oh, yeah. paints, which I thought I liked. But the Viridian is not to my taste. It's quite greasy. Mm. So I got um, different. I bought some different ones. So this um, Old Holland oh, is the best one that yeah. I, for me anyway. Yeah. And everyone's different, aren't they? I'm sure mm, absolutely. Good for somebody. And um, these are my dear old paints from college. <laughs> So when I was uh, at art college, yeah. we we were we had got free paint, got given free paint. Fantastic! I oh, know <laughs> that's that's how long ago it was. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you just got what you needed out of the store. There was a store full yeah. of paint, and well, you went and got what you needed. Um, or maybe it was a small amount of money, but no, I don't think it was actually. No, um, at least at first. Or maybe they were given out as part of a colour course or something like that. So oh, yeah. I still yeah. have a lot of those paints. So it's like your paint box builds up your history, doesn't it? Like yeah. so you, it's like mementos, in fact. Yeah, you sometimes work your way through colours, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Well, when I was uh, at college, my colour palette was uh, always um, very limited. Um, I knew that I wanted my paintings to work in terms of again it's it's kind of it's almost the same thing really I was painting spatial figurative paintings um and um I was looking at Stanley Spencer and Joseph Fry of Derbyshire and Baltus people like that mm. so and Stephen Campbell was big at the time and the way that I wanted to paint spaces I wanted it to be to to feel like a space you know and I've, I realized that if I simplified my palette always used the same colors and just pushed that mm. that would really help me to um, achieve a, a sense of space and volumes and uh, that I think I even used to glaze my paintings at that time for the same reason mm. but I used to use Prussian blue Prussian mm. blue all That's the time. That's strong, isn't it? Yeah, really <laughs> strong. I mean, when I look at them now, the colours seem really crude. Huh. Um, but, um, and what was my geranium lake? It's oh, yeah. a huge favourite. So I love quite punchy colours, mm. but then I would always use earths with them, which mm. I hardly ever do now. I think just adding a little bit of, um, I'd probably prime with raw sienna. Yeah. In the early days, I would do that. Later on, I would use a variety of colour, but... And then it was like that would be the key, the key in. Mm. So everything else sort of touched with that colour, either through coming through from underneath or I might add bits in. So it kind of united the whole palette. It was almost foolproof. You couldn't really go wrong. And it is a, a earth pigment, so it is like a ground, isn't it? it can yeah. ground. It can actually ground the other yeah. colours. And, of course, it made the colours more true to life. Mm. Um, because um, when I was interested in doing that, most things um, in natural vision, anyway, I think you, you know, you're reading 
you know, earthy, earthy colours a lot. There's a lot mm. of grey as well. That's another way of uh, making things more lifelike, I think, it's using a lot of grey. Mm. Um, so, yeah, to, so uh, realism, I suppose, you know, ha- ways of um, approaching realism through colour. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I can understand you're using colour as a way of unifying and creating space. Because mm. um, sometimes if you... You know, if you get too many colours in a picture, it uh, it doesn't kind of work, does it? I think when I first fell in love with Corinth, I really got that from his painting, that, you know, he uses greys a yeah. lot and he uses earth colours a lot. And yet they're still beautifully um, colourful paintings. But the, the colours are all, you know, they're, they're not all blended in or anything like that. They're sort of uh, dancing about in front of you and blending together in front of your eyes, you know, yes. optically. I suppose, you know, while you were at college, you'd learn uh, colour theory and uh, that kind of thing. Does that play much of an element in your work? Or? Um, I don't think so. I think I think about, I have thoughts about colour and what I'm trying to do with it, but um, I don't follow a system other than the system I'm inventing at the time for myself. I am... Fond of picking a colour to lay next to another colour to um, sort of get something happening between them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you're introducing people to each other. <laughs> See how you get on, you know. And uh, especially towards the later stages of the painting, I might like quite often I find that I want to. It's like putting the cherry on the cake, you know, you, it might be a cherry red or, or something, you know, adding in some brighter colour that you, it's now ready to receive, you know, like early on, maybe you were working a lot of things mm. out with a certain palette, but as you get near the end, you, you know, you want to give it a zhuzh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Yeah, and I know that um, I think when I first met you, you were doing paintings blindfolded. Yeah, I still do that. That's still quite a big part of my practice. Mm. Um, I don't use a blindfold because I just close my eyes. Um, I'm not going to cheat because (laughs) I would know. (laughs) So uh, even if I'm painting something that doesn't look like it's um, de-integrating, which is what those paintings do look like like this one yeah. you know you can the, the forms are um simultaneously sort of coming together and falling apart they're telescoping or effects that you get when you um shut your eyes and and paint another bit on um you would choose your color you you would look and make, mix up your color but then paint blind yeah yes yes and so i would still use that method now um, but you wouldn't necessarily know I'd done it. So, like, um, in that painting, you know, it's probably, um, you know, it's mostly painted sightedly, but when things get a bit uh, predictable and I want to work back into a painting, I will uh, mix up the colour, yeah, and then I will um, get a sense of movement, actually, mm. that I'm interested in, connecting to the feeling to do with the, the subject matter or, or the, the forms in the painting. Yeah, so movement becomes what I'm painting, the move, yeah. the, phys- the physical sensation. 
Um, but the colour is... Um, when I'm pe- doing blind paintings, actually, what I really like is double or triple loading brush. Oh, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. so um, something that a lot of the painters that I like do, if you look at... Um, a soutine, for example, then yeah. you'll often see that one paint mark, but it's got like several colours in it and somehow miraculously flicks of something else, you know, <laughs> that do seem to have been painted at the same time. It's, yeah, yeah, there's that kind of fluidity and uh, sense of um, immediacy, I suppose, or spontaneity. Yeah, yeah. yes, that tends, does tend to happen when you're painting quite quickly as well you know and you're in the flow and you'll but it's quite orchestrated so you know there's a choreography going on isn't there so you, I would know that I the main colour and then I would add on the, the side of the brush one colour and then maybe the tip mm. would have something else or you might have different consistencies of colour so it, this brush might be soaked in a, a, a liquid yellow but then you'd scoop up some fairly dry um, chalky white maybe with a bit of pink and, and and then sort of like when you drag that across the canvas you know there's certain things will happen which you, you can to a degree predict and to a degree you can't yeah that's the excitement of it I suppose really isn't it yeah <laughs> absolutely yeah you're making me want to pay now <laughs> and you, you, it seems to me that you're kind of creating an atmosphere with colour as well mm. here in these paintings what are you thinking the atmosphere is well well it's quite dark isn't it like we've got a figure there who's you know her arms are kind of pulled behind with this tree um as if she's trying to escape but can't i don't know um and you've restricted the colors to the viridian and some some deep purpley blues what kind of blues are you using there um, the, the, the whole here so the main one is is this one this again it's old Holland ultramarine oh yeah yeah mm. so it's really gorgeous colour and then um, so the greens are this um, Chevening's green deep uh, old Holland and then I have mixed in some earthy nice into there I don't know it just it felt all like it wasn't quite grounded enough. Mm. Um, so there are some splodges of like an earthy or yellow in the background. But the mood, the mood or the atmosphere, I think it's kind of like the mark making as well is kind of like um, whipped up. Yeah. It's like a, a, and she is pretty whipped up. I mean, it's a scene of a, a saint, you know, in in the film, this uh, main female character um, who's a lot more sensible than the lead. Yeah, and he's like, <laughs> just careless. Oh, don't worry, don't silly. I'm just going to see this vampire. What are you worried about? And she, <laughs> she knows something's wrong. <laughs> and, so, uh, and she, at the end, she realizes that she has to save the world by seducing the vampire who's got a big crush on her. And so she, mm. she tempts him back to her place and uh, gets rid of her husband and um so this figure is taken from the scene where she is in torment because she's she's very anguished she knows she's going to die by doing this but she knows she has to do it so she's struggling with herself you know it's a sort of 
dark night of the soul. And she's at the window to the night. And he, um, the um, vampire is in the opposite building and can see her. And she knows he's watching. And she opens, flings open the window. And that's his invitation to slip over and see her. And Mm. and he... he, um, suckles at her neck all night and the cock crows, the sun comes up and comes through the window and kills him. Um, So this is her about to do that act. But I'm quite interested in the idea of martyrdom, especially uh, amongst white women. So, you know, uh, (laughs) the do-gooding ladies. uh, Yeah, it's... it's, um, I liked putting that figure opening window in front of a tree... Yeah. So it's, I don't know what would open if you opened a window into a, you know, like a this, a window that's in a landscape. I mean, it, I don't know what's behind, or, you know, or what comes in if, um, I mean, it's a new film, I guess, that you're yeah. um, creating, a new film, a new scene. But, um, yeah, so the frenzy of the marks and... The somberness of the colour, I think, are all about that, the gravity of the moment, really. Yeah. yeah. And then she's got this very bright pink tongue uh, sort of totem that's round her neck. And I think, you know, that's... I didn't know why I wanted to paint that. I knew it needed some bright pop of colour. Yeah. And I popped that in. And then afterwards I thought, oh... Yeah, a tongue, it's like part of a mouth that's going to yeah. eat her, but it's also quite sexual, it's quite phallic. Yeah, and your eyes taken right into that bit, isn't it? Really? Yeah, it's over her heart. Um, do you do you come back to your paintings over over quite a bit of time, or, or are they done? I am now, you know, I'm getting so much better at... I'm sort of reinventing the wheel deliberately because... <laughs> For centuries, people have made studies and, and that have helped them with big paintings. So, um, and that's kind of quite organised. And it shows that you have a sense of planning. But what I used to like to do was be just very immediate all the time. So I would be painting, especially on the blind paintings, it's all focused into this one painting. And, and, of course, things get destroyed when you're painting blind. So it would be like this one... It was quite ritualistic. It was quite bonkers, really. Mm. Just in, intensely focused on one painting for a couple of weeks. And then now I'm like... Um, like I've got stuck on this painting because it needs working back into. And, of course, I've just done what... Um, people do I've done some studies which will now help me go back into that painting and I'm not quite sure if the composition is too central so now I'm going to do some smaller studies reimagining the the layout of it and and different colour uses of colour see how that goes so I'm spending longer because I'm putting more uh, I feel a bit more in control of the process yeah which is lovely because I've always felt it's been a bit hit and miss Although I liked that edginess, yeah. I really enjoy it being, uh, you know, never knowing what was going to happen or if I would have a, a painting at the end of it and feeling like it was incredibly precarious, you know. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
But now I feel like, oh, no, if I start a painting, I'm yeah, 90% sure I'll finish it. Yeah. <laughs> There's uh, lots of, you know, things that have been set aside to come back to. Yeah. 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 And then I was wondering also that you also work as a Jungian analyst. So yeah. I was wondering how, what, how that impacts your painting on, and perhaps your use of colour. Hmm. Good question. Hmm. Well, I suppose, um, I don't know if it's an impact, but I think one of the things that I as a person get from being an analyst is that I get to have very intense relationships with people. Mm -hmm. So I'm seeing them on a regular basis for a very intense period of time. My analyst said to me that he was an intimacy junkie. And I thought that was a lovely, honest thing to say. And I really related to it. Mm. Um, but it's like, that's just what I do. Um, so I'm used to it. But I think that level of intensity is what I need. So, you know, I'm seeking dopamine all the time. So I sort of definitely have to feel an intense connection with what I'm working on. And if I don't... I I can go for a while tolerating something, letting it sort of be in the studio, working on it, and just thinking, you know, looking at it like I might in analysis with a person and thinking, mm. we're going nowhere here, you know, but, you know, it would be polite to tell you that, or <laughs> impolite to tell you that. Let's just keep going for a bit. And then eventually I'll be, I'll be just like, do you know what? I've got to say something, so <laughs> we'll just get some other colour and just like <laughs> splash it all over the yeah. painting like I would um, when I'm working you know I'm just sort of saying do you know what I don't know why I'm just switching off while we're talking mm. I wonder what that means to you you know what what do you think's happening mm. um, because I don't know it wasn't like that uh, a couple of weeks ago you know so um, I think a lot of the same processes are going on so yeah. Yes, yeah, so it's kind of that intensity of uh, the relationship with the figure ground, maybe, mm. which is similar to, you know, having a, someone in a, you know, the analyst room, mm. and that kind of it, that kind of unknown element as well that you're that oh, presumably yeah. when you're working with someone as an analyst, they don't always know what it what the problem is. It's often unconscious mm. and you have the same thing really in painting don't you things that you can see that you understand things that probably are there but you don't understand yet or they're coming into view somehow absolutely <laughs> things are emergent and they're co-created as well so you know um i can't really tell the painting i i can draw and paint in a way where i know what it's going to be like but that's not the kind of painting that i'm interested in so I have to learn something during the course of the painting. So I'm always putting myself back into a state of not knowing what's going to happen. It's uh, got to be emergent, yeah. So it's got kind of unconscious as well as conscious elements? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'd like to be surprised. Yeah. Which... I suppose because I'm the one doing the work, you have to find ways of getting that to happen. So be, being blind while you're painting is a really good way 
and people use all sorts of um, common tricks, you know, painting with the other hand and you know, turning your brushes on the sticks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, but I'm managing to, to so tolerating not knowing is is something that people struggle with often when they come into analysis. But I'm having to tolerate knowing. To oh. me, that is the difficult thing, to um, be able to plan a painting and to know what I want out of it. Mm. Um, and I'm trying to bring those two things together so that, yeah, it's a space. It's going to have be this scene. It's going to have these sources. I'm going to do these studies for it. But at the same time, I'm really, need, I'm really needing something to happen there that I can't predict. Um, and I, I wondered, uh, in terms of colour, whether you have any early colour memories or whether colour played a, a big part in, you know, through your life in other, in other areas. It did. I was wondering, actually, before you came today about that, because I was thinking about associations to different colours. And, of course, probably, like a lot of people my associations go back to early life. Mm. So I've always been quite keen on um, 50s colour palette, which is, for me, uh, black, a lot of black, Mm. with bright oranges and yellows and greens. And I, um, I know that I can remember when I worked out that that was because of this amazing blanket that was on my parents' bed when I was a child oh, yeah. um, at, at the age of five. And, it, and I have now bought a very similar blanket, <laughs> which I have on my bed. So, um, yeah, uh, just the sort of um, it kind of 50s. And so I collected 50s things for a while because I really liked those colours. Um, something kind of juicy and vibrant with against the black yeah. kind of... Um, yeah, uh, making them quite jewel-like. Um, and so that's one. And my gran was very interested in wildflowers, so she would tell me about them, you know. And it was actually back in the time when, before rewilding had happened. So, you know, we actually got lots of the wildflowers that I remember back. Mm. But there was a time when they were really on the on the way out. But she would tell me about them and um so I kind of got very interested in plants at a very early age yeah yeah and my dad was a bit of a, a bird well he he wasn't a bird watcher he was a bird egg stealer when he was oh, a boy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because <laughs> where he grew up that was just what what boys did they climbed trees and pinched one of the eggs out of a nest yeah so he he knows a lot about birds he knows their song and and uh, can distinguish between different songs and can spot them, even though he's colourblind, actually, um, very, very well. In painting now, you know, I do think about natural colour. And, you know, as an English person or UK person, British person, the colours um, are not... They're kind of quite muted versions, especially wildflowers, muted versions of things that um, I'm really attracted to. And I kind of haven't really ever understood what that is. And I've always been very afraid of exoticising people or things in other countries and not wanting to be interested in the exotic and in the sense of, you know, seeing things as other and um, trying to 
possess them or seeing them as magical or something like that. Um, but I know that when I was a child, we did go to Australia. Hmm. And I went into rainforests there and saw all kinds of flora and fauna. That's you know, really fascinating. Snakes, birds. Um, I can remember driving along these huge, beautiful country roads in Australia with enormous trees and kookaburras hmm. um, sing, uh, making the noise they make and, uh, and flying about. And, you know, um, it, was, it was amazing. And I, I think maybe some of my feeling for things that aren't really from where I'm from mm. is, um, is, is a little bit about that. When you're taken away from your homeland, you have a, a longing to go back. I certainly did. But then you also, when you're brought back, you have a longing for the thing that you yeah. experienced for a while, you know. Yeah. So I, th- I think that's happened to me a lot. And so I... I quite fond of the Australian painters for that reason as well, I think. But um, I was thinking about when I came back from Australia, and I was only seven, I was only there for two um, years, and I remember squinting a lot because the sun, the, the heat and the glare of the sun um, for a child, and, I mean, children didn't have sunglasses in mm-hmm. those days. So you're six years old, you're going to school, the sun is beating down, and I, my mum did one of those lovely... Uh, <laughs> pudding bowl haircuts where you have a bowl in your head you just chop the fringe up, up to here as high as it would possibly go so there's nothing protecting my eyes from the sun at all and I think it bleaches everything out yeah. you know so I, my sense of colour was I think affected by that as well and then when I came here I think you could see colours more clearly actually because yeah. the sun wasn't as bright which was interesting um, but I still squinted because I was so used to it. If I went outside, I'd screw my eyes up like this. <laughs> and I, yeah, I can't remember how long it took me to stop doing that. But I used to think that was just how my eyes were squinting. <laughs> yeah, you'd have a cap now, I think, for a child. <laughs> you might even have sunglasses. Yeah. <laughs> but that was quite a thing, yeah. <laughs> So, so there's that as well, and then things in Australia. Like, I when I see a certain kind of plant, a low-lying plant with pointed leaves and variegated leaves, they have it's like a mid-green, sort mm. of a yellowy green, and then they have these silver spots on. I don't know if you know what that plant is, but that particular combination um, was in our next-door house in Australia, and I can remember playing hide and seek and hiding in the bushes there and seeing this combination of colours and just been just I don't know just made my heart sing just something about it and so I've always loved that and I've always liked how this thing I'm a bit obsessed I suppose about things going with other things well mm. and it's amazing to me how the the a flower and its leaves the colours always match so beautifully Mm. This, just the interplay of those two colours is is joyful. I find. Yeah, mm. yeah. Whatever the plant is, um, nature is very clever. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing. Mm. But l- looking around your studio as well at the colours, you know, you've got a you've got uh, paintings, quite different paintings here. Mm. Um, 
And there's, there's a real richness in the colour, isn't there? Well, I tried to um, arrange it so you could see what I think is going on with colour. Um, so let me just get this other painting. I know on the tape. <laughs> it's here on the tape, but because this is a... So I'm just pointing to this other painting, which is um, also a similar palette of more faux-like colours, I suppose yeah, you yeah. say. Bright pinks and Freshness. So Kirchner is uh, somebody who I literally drool over. If I'm standing in front of a curtain, uh, especially a mountain scene. Yeah. Um, I saw a lovely one by Kokoschka in Paris um, recently. Just um, yummy, you know. And um, so there's something about this kind of palette, mm. which I've also always been drawn to sort of simultaneously to more, uh, either the more earthy uh, palette or the, the monochromatic ones and there's something where instead of everything settling and being a unified kind of thing they're sort of talking to each other more there's more yeah co- colors talking to each other um yeah you've so. got the more contrast of warm and cool but quite rich pinks and oranges and some acid yellows yeah I was thinking about the different palettes that I like, and I came up with five different ones. I was amazed. Yeah. 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 So, so this is the one that I call Kirchner Fauve Expressionist Nold type things, and um, suiting sort of goes in in that group as well. Which I broadly call it rich, rich colours. Mm. And then I thought there's this other grade down version which I think Corinth has. And another one is, so moving on from that, a sort of rotting corpse collection of colours. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, things that are, you know, like, um, yeah, like, maybe with some toxic fluorescent green mm. mixed in, but, like, earthy, like, puss-like yellow and, like, browns and things like that. So that mm. kind of, you see that this sort of, combo in in expressionism as well there might be a purple and a gold so it's not necessarily Mm. just you know um, horrible mud colors or anything like that they're lively you know joyful to look at colors but um just something about a flavor of what they add up to for me which I really like so there's that sort of which I call rotting my rotting corpse palette (laughs) (laughs) and that yeah that so and that's often about trauma when I've painted things they've been like fragmented bodies or so literally yeah. corpses or or that flavour. Then they makes me think of like the colours of a wound, yeah. Know, how they change. And some of them can be very um kind of quite pretty. Yeah. But others are, you know, that they're much more on the rotting side. Yeah. Or also mm. bruises. Mm. Bruises are beautiful. They are really like flowers on the body, aren't they? Mm. You know, mm. you've got that amazing green going to yellow and then purple and then some of the little veins coming through. And <laughs> <laughs> so there's a whole colour palette in a, in a bruise. You Absolutely, know. Yeah. 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 So and then the monochrome and with the sort of horror feeling 
because you can't really tell what's going to happen and everything's unified. And those are kind of quite female to me, I suppose, that sense of unity. Uh, I'm using a lot of female figures there. They're quite, and they're quite otherworldly with the, those greens, aren't they? Yeah. Um, almost as if you're looking under a certain kind of light. Yes, and I think the subject matter is going towards aliens. Hmm. So I'm very interested in some alien films as well now. So hmm. so this one, in fact, um, which I've situated in under the trees at Sudbury Mill Pond, where I did the residency with you, with um, hmm. Pasture Project. Hmm. Um, that That's sort of where I was sat, with the bats all flitting around me in the trees at dusk. But it's not me, it's um, Scarlett Johansson from the film Under the Skin. And so she's peeling off her white skin and um, she's just been hunted down. But she's shown now her alien self. But it's a vampire alien, so she's come to this planet to harvest humans and with with another person, uh, alien, that she's working with. And she's quite ruthless, but she softens towards the end and um, cries a tear and it's sort of very moving everything but this is where she's taking off her her skin mm. and so it's ironic really because the uh, she's become more human but then you see the alien self anyway so that kind of thing uh, and then that sense of the strange if you like mm. the strange and the queer so um, these kinds of colour palettes kind of more to do with queerness um, and I'm thinking about Fassbinder's films yeah. and also thinking about people like Salmon Tour. don't know if you know him I, I don't think I do actually okay he's an amazing painter so he's oh. uh, is he in New York I'm not sure but certainly part of the big gay scene mm. and he paints these incredible pictures using again these kind of yeah. bright acid colours not really monochromatic but using that idea green. Yeah. green and really emphasising certain features and things um, you know he's got his own iconography his wonderful yes. bendy limbs and pointed noses and sense of otherness human yeah. but other yeah. and but a celebration of that yeah and I can see the link there with all that Oh, can you? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I couldn't believe it when I I only discovered him about a year ago, and um, immediately felt connected with them. Yeah. Mm. Um, so, so that's that's my. Uh, oh, and the other one is is um, something that's influenced me a lot is Enser. Oh yeah. Yeah. And you know, Enser's uh, is it uh, a flounder on its oh, side right. or yeah. a, a flatfish or something with the tail up in the air like that. It's obviously dead, but um, the way he uses white mixes other, like, you know, again, the from the more fauvy palette in yeah. those primary colours. They're primary colours. Mm-hmm. Mixing those in with the white, it just creates this otherworldliness. Yes. Again. I can think of some of his figures that are like that yes. in his groups. Yes, he uses a lot of red and blue in some of those too. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's the predominance of white with some little flecks of primary colours in there that has this incredible impact. And Immendorf did a similar painting. It was of a fallen star. It was a giant painting. Mm-hmm. You saw it in Dusseldorf in the 80s. 
and it had that same quality so that the paint had took on this sort of slippery otherworldly sort of quality um so there's something about yeah the the visceral alien nature of paint which i really love <laughs> and relate to <laughs> Oh, well, it's, it's been fascinating um, hearing about your relationship with colour. Um, thank you for sharing it with us. Mm, thank you. It's been fun. <laughs> Thanks very much to Ruth for such a fascinating insight into her relationship to colour. I'd also like to thank Stuart Bowditch for editing the podcast, Arts Council England for supporting it through a Develop Your Creative Practice grant, and Contemporary British Painting an artist-led organisation that I'm a member of, for helping to publicise it. Thank you for listening. A Geography of Colour is a monthly podcast with a new painter each month about their relationship with colour. Do follow it on your podcast player and share it with your friends. This is the last episode in the first series and hopefully there will be more to follow soon. Thank you.